This is the 10-Minute Law Firm Podcast, brought to you by Rocket Matter. Hey, everybody. I'm Larry Port with Rocket Matter, and I'm very excited for this episode of the 10-Minute Law Firm Podcast. We have Michael Lieberman with us, and Michael Lieberman is a very distinguished civil rights attorney. He has been with the ADL for over 30 years. He was the head of their uh, Washington office, and he's also the head of their civil rights Policy Planning Center. So, Michael, thank you for being with us today. Larry, so happy to be with you. So, one of the things uh, that I think will be interesting to explore is uh, what's going on with civil rights in this COVID situation that we have on our hands. And we have kind of a before, during, and after situation is the way I think you're modeling it. So, um, why don't you tell us from your perspective what you're seeing? Yeah, great. Thanks for the opportunity. I'm glad to be with you. And I think that you, the way you framed it is exactly right. Um, we should think about the before COVID time, the during COVID time, and then the after COVID time. I think before COVID, it's fair to say, in my opinion, that this was the most partisan, polarized, divided, dangerous time. Uh, certainly in my professional career, I would say even in my lifetime. And I would think about that in terms of three different concepts. One hate crime, one hate groups, and then religious freedom. On the hate crime front, the best data comes from the FBI. Their most recent data is from 2018. And in 2018, the FBI reported about 7,000 hate crimes. It was the highest number of personal assaults in the last 16 years. Crimes against Hispanics increased, crimes against the LGBTQ communities, increased and crimes against the disability community increased. It's not a coincidence that in these polarized, divided times, hate crime numbers do increase. On the hate group front, the Anti-Defamation League and the Southern Poverty Law Center probably have the best data of all the nonprofits. ADL does an annual report called Murder and Extremism on their website. Their most recent one uh, about 2019 came out a few weeks ago, and it showed that there were 42 extremist-related murders in 2019. 90% of them were committed by white supremacist and right-wing extremists, including the most notable, the most horrible, in El Paso, Texas, at that Walmart, where 22 Hispanics individual and 24 others were 22 people were killed, 24 other people were wounded, uh, the most deadly attack on Hispanics in modern American history. And the Southern Poverty Law Center does an annual report on hate groups in America. Their report came out just a couple weeks ago, 940 hate group, active hate group uh, organizations that they identified. And this year in their annual report, they identified more white supremacist organizations, more anti-LGBTQ organizations, and more anti-immigrant organizations. So that's the extremism frame. But the part of it that is being imposed by our own government, most notably by the Department of Justice, is the threats to religious liberty. We have seen efforts by this administration, especially the Department of Justice, to redefine what religious liberty means. And maybe this is a whole nother podcast, Larry, but the idea that we think of, I think, as lawyers and as people who care about these issues, when we think about the American ideal of religious freedom, 
we think of it as a shield against religious discrimination, against discrimination, especially against religious minorities. But the administration has consistently and doggedly used the concept of religious freedom as a sword to thwart rights of religious minorities, of women, of the LGBT communities. And just a couple examples of that. The HHS is funding foster care programs that explicitly discriminate against Catholics and Jews. So that means Catholics and Jews need not apply for government-funded foster care programs, which is outrageous. And then just uh, in March uh, and in February, there were nine different federal agencies. Every federal agency that uh, has federal contracting with faith-based organizations, most notably HHS, with, uh, which has billions of dollars in funding to faith-based organizations, they eliminated the anti-discrimination provisions that had been in existence, meaning that they, these government-funded agencies with federal funding can deny access to their funding for certain beneficiaries, and they are open to proselytizing those that do come through their doors. Very, very different. Just turning religious freedom on its head. Can I ask you a question on that? Like, what was the spin on that or the purported motivation behind these moves? So the motivation on the religious freedom is uh, a different concept of religious freedom, that a faith-based organization should be able to use their own faith as part of their services, as part of what they're providing as services for their beneficiaries. And if you come to their door, then you are acceding to their desire to proselytize. If you're a Lutheran in a Lutheran soup kitchen, maybe a Lutheran prayer is perfectly fine. But if you're someone who does not believe that way, and you are told to before getting a methadone treatment or a housing voucher, that you're going to be joined in a moment of, of prayer together, that seems uncomfortable. And for federally funded programs, that is that just seems very wrong, it, different than the way it had been done during the Obama administration, totally turns this concept on its head. Gotcha, gotcha. And also, one other thing is that uh, in terms of what you were talking about before with the hate crimes and stuff, I mean, help me understand, because the... I'm, enough of a student of history to kind of like see a correlation between like tough economic times and the rise of hate. But up until now, where all sorts of people are being laid off because of COVID, we're talking 2019, we're talking before this whole thing happened, decent economy, uh, stock market flying around. I mean, what's, how is, those two things don't seem to necessarily correlate. What, like, what, what is the story there? Yeah, so I think there's a lot. Uh, the FBI has been keeping track of uh, hate crime data since 1991. And there are trends that the numbers are disturbing year in and year out because every, you know, you can talk about 7,000 hate crimes, but behind every single one is an individual who's been targeted because of his or her race, religion, sexual orientation, disability, uh, national origin. So it is year in and year out a problem. I think it's fair and I think it's accurate to say that one of the reasons why there have been disturbing numbers in recent years is the disappointing response from the President of the United States and his administration. Think back, Larry, to Charlottesville 
in August of 2017, the most dramatic extremist rally riots, white supremacists motivated in decades, hundreds of white supremacists walking through the University of Virginia campus in Charlottesville with tiki torches. And the president's response to that was that there were very fine people on both sides. Right. I unfortunately was part of the team after Charlottesville, after the Tree of Life synagogue in Pittsburgh, the murders there, the most deadly attack on Jews in American history, nine individuals murdered. And to craft the response, the number one thing that we say is that leaders must use their bully pulpit to speak out against hate. And this president and this administration have been disappointing in their lack of response, their lack of firm resolve against this kind of bigotry. And I think it does have an impact. Gotcha. Okay, so so take us um, kind of to COVID present. So during COVID, I think what we have seen is that many Asian American organizations, also the Anti-Defamation League, have documented really dramatic increases in xenophobic and racist slurs, stereotyping, and again, hate crimes. Go back to China, Kung flu. Um, even the president has repeatedly referred to COVID-19 as Chinese virus. We've also seen, disturbingly, that the rates of infection and death of the virus are much higher among people of color, quite specifically among Black communities, illustrating, I think, racial inequities that existed way before the COVID crisis. In Louisiana, 70% of the deaths, but only 33% of the people in Louisiana are Black in Alabama, 44% of the deaths, but only 26% of the population are Black. Chicago, Detroit, Milwaukee, all the same. The rate of infection and death much higher among people of color. And you ask why. Part of it is because Black and brown people are much more likely to be frontline workers, not able to stay home, not able to shelter in space. They are much more likely to be healthcare workers, transit workers, cashiers, people that are stocking the grocery stores that we are able to go to. And today's disparities definitely follow years of wealth and opportunity disparities exacerbated by generational poverty, housing discrimination that means segregated, very overcrowded neighborhoods, inadequate uh, healthcare, lead poison pipes, uh, higher asthma rates, higher heart disease rates, and all these things are exacerbated, obviously, during COVID. And then third, I think we've seen, um, and Wisconsin illustrated it most notably, Republican majorities in the Wisconsin legislature forced the April 7th primary to go forward, even though many other states that day and others and other days have postponed their elections. The primary election did go forward in Wisconsin, there was a challenge to the forced uh, election primary by the Republican leadership in Wisconsin, but that decision was upheld by the Supreme Court, five to four decision. Uh, the five Republican appointed justices voted to move the election forward. The four Democratic appointed justices dissented. No person should have to risk their life to vote. And we've seen a couple dozen people infected already from the voting that occurred in Wisconsin. So now we're at the after COVID point. And I think I'm, I'm pretty optimistic that the nation will be able to come together to address some of the inequities that we've 
identified and revealed during the pandemic on healthcare, on education, on employment. I think on elections, there's going to be an election on November 3rd. It's, it's in the Constitution. It's definitely going to take place. There's no delay possible there. <laughs> Very good. And we've got to make sure that people don't have to choose whether they're going to vote or be safe. We need to make sure that they're not risking their lives. That means better online registration, better uh, infrastructure to be able to vote by mail, expanded early voting. And I think after this massive wave of suffering and death, there's going to be a desire to blame and uh, scapegoat. And we have to make sure that this will not be followed by another wave of racism and xenophobia, conspiracy-haunted anti-Semitism. We need to make sure to flatten the curve of xenophobia and racism, too. A few states like Michigan have already set up a commission to say, what are we doing wrong? What can we do right after COVID? And I think that maybe it's time to, for the nation to create a Kerner Commission-like um, commission to again study what has happened during COVID, what has been revealed in terms of healthcare, education, employment disparities, what can we do? That was set up in 1967 after the riots that engulfed so many cities in America. Maybe we need that now. I think the bottom line, Larry, is we cannot go back. We cannot, after COVID, it can't be business as usual. And the legal community and the civil rights community are going to have a tremendous role to play when we get through this. You bring up a good, very, very good point that um, in some ways, look, this is a horrible experience for everybody. But in some ways, if there is a silver lining, it is this notion that maybe we picked up a rock and we can see what's underneath it. And, um, you know, if, if people do want to um, get involved with kind of like civil rights law or some of these issues that you're talking about, because we have a lot of attorneys that listen to this podcast, what would you recommend? Like how, sh what, how should they get involved or what could they do maybe to kind of like dig a little deeper on some of these issues? Right. So I think that, you know, in the concept of all politics is local, that it, it's going to matter in Miami and in Denver and in Metro West New Jersey for people to be able to address the issues that emerge in their own communities. There are national issues like the national election. Got to make sure that those things happen. Part of that is federal and part of that is states. States are going to have to make the decision to fund this vote by mail, ballot access, and make sure that it's safe for people to be able to vote. That stuff is partially local and partially federal. So obviously Congress plays an important role working with national organizations that are working in this realm, the NAACP, the Southern Poverty Law Center, the Anti-Defamation League, other organizations uh, that are affinity organizations, groups of lawyers, the American Bar Association will be involved in so many of these issues. Local bars have the potential to play an important role. And I think that every municipality and every community is going to have a different set of priorities. But I think the most important thing, Larry, is that we do take the lessons learned from this COVID experience. And who knows whether it will flash up again in the fall again and be a, a, another series of stay-at-home orders. Uh, but use it to make sure that we are trying to address these societal inequities in education, in employment, in healthcare, and um, make sure that the devastation that has been wrought does not go for, uh, for nothing, and that we really do learn some of these lessons and be in a position to 
elevate our voice in advocating for more fairness, more equality, more justice going forward. Michael Lieberman, thank you so much for being with us today. Happy to be with you, Larry. This is the 10-Minute Law Firm Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and don't forget to rate and review so we can keep bringing you awesome content.